Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is The Secret Library, a podcast about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a life coach who works with writers, and I'm here to tell you this is your year. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. This episode of the Secret Library podcast is brought to you by Scrivener. Get 20% off the desktop software by using the code SECRET at literatureandlatte.com. This is episode 45. My guest this week is author, speaker, blogger, and podcast host Katie Dalebout. She is a contributor to Hello Giggles, Refinery29, and Mind Body Green. And in 2013, she launched the podcast Let It Out, which has included guests in the wellness and lifestyle arena, such as Gabrielle Bernstein, Tara Stiles, and Joe Cross. She's the author of the Amazon bestselling book, Let It Out, A Journey Through Journaling, which was published by Hay House in 2016. She's on a mission to share journaling tools that invoke deeper authenticity and self-awareness. I wanted to have Katie on to talk about both journaling and the process of publishing her book about journaling. We go into the book proposal process, the way she got her publishing deal, which is pretty unusual. And I think it will be really inspiring to you. Enjoy. Hey there. I'm just popping in before we talk to Katie to remind you that registration is currently open for the coffee shop writers group. You can learn more about the program, which is open to 12 people only at carolinedonahue.com slash coffee shop. Registration closes on April 10th. So if you're interested in being a part of the group, I encourage you to check it out today. All right, let's get on with the show. Hey, Katie, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Caroline. It's always fun having somebody who has their own podcast because having been both a host and a guest, I know it's sometimes really fun to be the guest. Do you oh, have that experience? It Yes, it is so nice to be the guest. Not that I don't like hosting, but um, you're actually just catching me off of a week of a lot of hosting. I think I did. I recorded... One yesterday, I was about to have two yesterday, but one canceled, one Friday, one Thursday, one Tuesday, so a week of like a bunch, and as you were saying at the beginning, my podcast is really long, so that's like two hours plus with each person, and I like it, but you kind of have to be the one to keep the thread going and, you know, land the plane, if you will, so it's kind of nice that that pressure is on you, and I get to be in the in the hot seat, and I totally feel you. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. So I wanted to have you on, Katie, because your book, Let It Out, A Journey Through Journaling, came out in 2016. It is 2016, mm-hmm. right? I'm like, all the years are blending yes. together. I'm like, was that yeah, only last believe. year? It feels like it's been yes. out longer. 
Yeah, it, w- it hasn't been out a year quite yet, but it seems like it just came out. I, I, I keep saying like, oh, I just published a book, but it was a year ago, it, almost a year ago now. It came out um, April 1st of 2016, and now it's there. <laughs> and I wanted to have you on because your book even itself bridges two types of writing, the idea of journaling and writing for yourself, as well as writing an actual book. And I think people who are in sort of a self-reflective space or who want to be writers have often done a lot of journaling and are nervous about the process of somebody else seeing their writing. And I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if you can talk about that because you had to write a whole book proposal, which is an amazing story in the beginning of the book, that whole process. But you're like a long-term journaler who then became an author and almost didn't expect that to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of meta. Like, I wrote a book about writing, in a way. But I wrote a book about journaling, which to me is a is a different thing. And I actually wasn't a journaler for my entire life. Like, I didn't, I wasn't one of those people who, you know, grew up keeping a diary, keeping a journal. I really didn't do that much at all. And then I was going through something where I was, you know, seeing therapists and I was like getting a lot of help and I was reading a lot of self-help books at the time and I was just searching and I, nobody told me to do this, but I intuitively was in the self-help section of a bookstore with a gift card and I was like, okay, which one am I going to read now? Which guru is going to save me? What is going to like help me? Is it a diet book? Is it a special cookbook? Is it a self-help book? It is, is it a spiritual book? And I just was like, Ugh, none of these. And I wandered with my gift card out of the self-help section to the stationary section of the bookstore. And I bought myself this colorful journal. And that summer, I just spent writing down my true, real feelings and thoughts that really my thoughts, I was writing down my thoughts. And I wasn't really writing to anyone. I was kind of writing to this mentor I had. And I was kind of like, these are the emails I wish I could flood her inbox with, but I've already sent her like 12, you know. (laughs) So that was kind of what what it started as. And then it kind of became letters to like, my higher self or to God or to the universe. And then it kind of became things to that I would want to say to friends or, or parents or therapists. And And it just became real. You know, what I was writing was real. It was my true thoughts. It was like how I was asking myself the question mainly, how are you feeling? And I was answering it honestly, which I hadn't done for years because I was wearing masks about who I thought I should be and what I thought I should say. And at the end of the day, I was working with my therapist or or with people in my life and I wanted them to like me. So I was filtering because I, you know, I'm a people pleaser and I, or just not even that, I just wanted to be liked. So I wasn't being completely authentic, completely unfiltered, completely raw. And so I wasn't saying, you know, the, the really dark thoughts I was having, I was too afraid to say. So I was filtering them a bit and I wasn't even saying the really bright light thoughts I was having, like my lofty goals, because I didn't want those judged either. But in my journal, when I was writing just for me, when I took the pressure off of sharing it with anyone, I could be that real with myself. And being that real with myself was really cool because then, you know, eventually that led to self-awareness and then that led to me being able to bring at least some of that into my relationships with other people. So then, you know, how the book kind of came to be, and sorry if I'm kind of talking too long, but basically how the book came to be was, you know, I wanted to write a book. My mentor, 
you know, had written a bunch of books and I just, I, I was really lost. My career was kind of in this malleable place. I, I had just graduated from college and I kind of had the idea of like, oh, writing a book would be cool. And then I, I had this idea of a, of a book I was going to write, which I still might write someday, but I wasn't really inspired by it anymore. And then I kept journaling from, you know, that period when I was like really hitting a bottom till I kind of got better and, and life kind of became better, but I was still journaling and I was still like recommending it to other people. So like if a friend of mine was kind of like going through something with a relationship or with their body image or with career or with whatever, I would kind of be like, you know, have you tried this thing journaling? And it's kind of weird, but like maybe write down your feelings. And, and I, you know, I was met with so much resistance every time I recommended it because it's very polarizing. You know, some people love it. A lot of people don't. And a lot of people who are new to it are just like, it's, they don't want to spend that much time with themselves. You know, it can be jarring to you. Journaling essentially is asking you to be with yourself. And it puts that mirror, writing of any kind, really, that's authentic, does this, where it puts that mirror up in your face of like, face yourself, be with yourself, don't distract yourself. And in our culture today, in our society, we're constantly distracting ourselves, you know, we're like, when I'm about to feel a feeling or feel stressed or feel overwhelmed, I turn to my phone and all of, all of a sudden my thumb hits Instagram, you know, and I start scrolling, right? Or I turn to like, oh, I think I need a snack, you know, or like I'm not hungry or I turn to work. I think I need to check my email again, right? Where is if I would just feel the feeling and let it move through me and be with it and process it, I could move on and I could you know, but we, we cope instead. And so, and that's okay. You know, coping mechanisms are fine, but I think doing them with the intentionality of like, I am doing this because I am tuning out of the present moment. I don't want to be in the present moment. So I am turning to my phone. I'm highly addicted to, or I'm turning to food or I'm turning, you know, people turn to relationships. They turn to alcohol. They turn to all sorts of things, but writing is a way where you have to, where you're not coping, you're dealing, you're healing, you're feeling. And so, you know, it's a practice that I still do, you know, I, I still journal. And it's something that, you know, I do with more fluidity now, I think. But, you know, when I started to recommend it to people, and people were resistant to it, I started to give them kind of prompts and questions. And, and what I said was like, you know, because they were saying, you know, oh, I'm not a writer, I wouldn't have anything to say, you know, really, really overwhelmed by the raw, open, empty page. And so I was like, well, all you have to do is ask yourself a good question and you'll get a good answer. So I was giving them questions, essentially. I was giving them prompts. And anyway, long story short, that ended up, or a very long story long, <laughs> that ended up becoming a book deal. And I ended up getting to write a book about this, which is, you know, 55 good questions, essentially. They're, they're prompts about getting organized, feeling, healing, revealing things to you. And yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it is. I am always fascinated by that statement. I'm not a writer. When we all email and tweet and yeah. send each other little messages all day, which is totally. writing, but it's, so it's yeah. something that's so common to us. And yet it feels so unnatural when you're looking at yourself. Yeah. And I think the thing about journaling too, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, like yesterday and today, I really struggled to be present. Like it's something that, and I don't think I'm alone in this and I don't think this is like a, you know, first time thought or anything, but it's something that I know is a big challenge for me to actually be present and not tune out. I was hanging out with, with someone last night and I was not wanting to like be with him and like have a real conversation. I was like, Oh, let's watch a show. Let's not talk about this right now. And I just, 
let me look at my phone. And, 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 I'm, and afterward, I felt almost hungover of like, what was I doing? Why wasn't I just there? And I think we, we often do that in life. And journaling, writing is one of the very few things left in our in life now where you really can't multitask, you know, like you can't be doing too many things when you're writing. You can't also be listening to a podcast and eating and driving while you're writing. You know what I mean? You have to be really can just do the one thing because you're thinking and you're using your hand and you're there. And the other way, the other spot, and this is the this is the thought, the new thought that I've, I've had, but the new thought is the other part where you really have to be present is when you're directing a conversation with someone or like we're doing right now, you know, like you, Caroline, are like only doing this. Like I can see you right now and like you're not painting your nails and you're not eating and you're not like maybe you're thinking of other stuff but you're really you're just here and you kind of have to be just here because you have to direct this conversation because we're recording it and you want it to sound like something we want to share and so like that's why I think I host my podcast and I why I think I journal it's and why I write it's like these are things that force me into the present moment which can be very uncomfortable you know like administrative work when I'm answering emails I can also be listening to music and like drinking a smoothie and like doing 10,000 things and have a million tabs open but like when I'm recording a podcast, I can't. And I think that that's part of the challenge and and part of the, you know, the goodness of it. Yeah, I think that's true. I never regret spending time on those things that require that level of focus. Like I'm always happy when I record a show. I'm yes. always happy when I'm reading. I'm always happy when mm-hmm. I'm writing or like going to a yoga class. Yeah. Like, because I'm like, oh, I don't know if I feel like it, but I'm like that sense of time and that ability of focus it feels like it it almost strengthens muscles so to speak even if they're not physical that allow you to have a better quality of attention which will then improve your ability to write if that's what you want to do totally I'm, I'm like a big fitness class person like I love going to fitness classes and I think the reason I do is you know, I, I've never been like a good gym person and I don't even like know what I would do, but that you can kind of multitask. You can like talk to someone and in between things and, you know, like the three times in my life I've gone to a gym, that's what it seems like. Whereas like when you're in a fitness class, you're essentially like paying to lock yourself in a room where you can't leave and have someone tell you what to do without your phone, you know? And maybe that's why I like it so much. Maybe that's why I like the, you know, the 50 minutes that I commit every single day to go to my bar class or go to my dance class or go to my yoga class. And it's because when I'm there, I'm forced to be present and I'm forced to not be on my phone. And you're right. I always have a more creative day when I do that. I always, always, always do. And, and, you know, the other thing, like I do TM, I I do, um, 20 minutes twice a day of meditating. And, and that, also is, you know, a time where like, I am at the very least, it's 20 minutes of me not on my phone, not doing anything. And at the most, it's, you know, being really present and, you know, being calm and resting, you know, but some days it's not restful. (laughs) Like some days I'm like, wrestling with things in my mind, and it doesn't feel like meditation, but at least I'm not on my phone, you know, and at least I'm not working. And at least I'm present. Well, you know, maybe I'm not present, but at least I'm trying to be. Exactly. So how did all of these practices contribute to your writing Let It Out when you were working on the manuscript of the book itself? Mm, that's a that's a really good question. So I wasn't a TM. I didn't learn TM until after the book was out or well, after it was done. I, I learned about a year ago. I started TM a year and a half ago. 
But I was doing a lot of other practices at that time. I was, you know, I was still journaling, I think, you know, here and there. But really, you know, people say this, like everything I had kind of went into the book. Like I would kind of get an idea and I, ha- I used the notes section of my iPhone when I was like out during the day. And if I got an idea for a tool or a prompt or something I wanted to put into the book, I just wrote it in my iPhone notes. And then I would like, and it literally was called like additional tools for let it out mm-hmm. ideas or something like that. And I think I still have it. And like sometimes I add to it and like, oh, shoot, the book's out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I would just kind of get inspired. Like everything in the book is inspired by my life or my friends' lives and Anyway, so that's kind of how I got ideas and and how I kind of took care of myself while writing. It was like, well, first of all, I had a very long deadline and I recommend that to everyone. You know, I wasn't, I'm still not a full-time writer. I was working a full-time job, doing a podcast, teaching yoga, uh, trying to have a life, but I didn't really, to be honest. And so I was doing a bunch of things when I got the book deal and I was, and I was like, oh, and now I have to write you know, 40,000 words by a certain day, or I'm going to have to like pay a bunch of money back. Like it was pretty scary. And so I had over a year to submit the manuscript, which seems like a ton of time to people I know. Um, but for me, it was, it was great. And I, I ended up doing it. I need, didn't need that much time. I think I ended up doing it in maybe like eight months or so. And I had the book proposal already done at that point. So I already had an outline or I maybe did it in six months. I had an outline, um, but I ended up changing that a ton from the book proposal once I kind of got in it. And I really just kind of was of the mindset of like, I got to get this done. I'm going to just do my best. And then the editor will help me. I was just kind of like, here you go. Like, (laughs) and I just, that's really kind of how I did it. And it didn't change well, here, let me like tie this bow up and then I'll tell you kind of about the editing process if that's interesting. But Definitely. Um, what happened for me was I, like I said, I was working a full-time job. So the only, I am one of those people who like I lose willpower very easily as the day tracks on. So I have to do my creative work in the morning. I can't really do it later in the day. So I would wake up, but I was working full-time. So I would wake up very early at like 5 a.m., And I would tell myself that I only had to write for 30 minutes, but I would do it. I would write for those 30 minutes and some days I would end at 30 minutes. Some days I would feel really inspired and go on for like an hour or longer because I had time because it was so early. And, but often I didn't, often I just did those 30 minutes, but Every time before I ended, I had to, I forced myself on a post-it note actually to write down where I was and like what I, the point I was going to start writing on the next day. I had to like have that idea and I, and I purposely, I like, I almost wanted to write it. It was like, Ooh, I know what I'm going to say here. I almost wanted to do it, but I didn't let myself. So then that way, the next morning I was like, actually, kind of excited. I mean, that's probably a little bit of an overstatement, but I was, I was eager to get to my computer and write on that thing. It wasn't like I was sitting down, like, where do I even begin today? Blank page. You know, I was like, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to finish this tool. I've got this paragraph that I'm going to write about this one thing. And I knew, so then that, I didn't know it was coming next, but at least I like got some momentum from what I left myself with the, the previous day. And that really served me. That was, that was the, I don't know how I decided to do that, but that helped so much. Some days, like I said, I would keep going. Some days I wouldn't. Some days I would do like a second sprint later in the day. Like if I in the afternoon or later in the morning had some time, 
I would do like another half an hour or an hour or whatever. But often I didn't. Often I just did that one time in the morning and it made my entire day feel better. It was like, oh, like I feel like my day's productive just because I got that in the morning. Check, you know, and then I would go about my day and I would just do what I was doing and I would go to a yoga class or I would take care of myself or I would, you know, do whatever self-care I was going to do. And I wouldn't really focus on writing throughout the day, but it was like I had to go to bed and I had to wake up and I had to do that every single day. And I, I didn't do that for very long. I think I only did that for maybe a month, two months, three months. But it was almost pretty liberating because it was kind of like during that time, I was very focused. I, I look back at that time with some nostalgia now because I do so many different things now. And back then it was like all that I was doing a lot then too. I was still like doing the podcast. And I think it went on a slight hiatus while I was doing that just for like uh, between seasons. But I was still doing a lot of things. But I, I really was like the main creative task I had was the book and I couldn't have anything else. So I kind of, everything had to go on the back burner cause I had this deadline. So it was kind of nice cause it was like, well, this is gotta be this. So that was, that was transformative to like do that little like trick with the, the post-it. And the reason why I had to do that was because as you know, and, and any writer knows like the file is so big just like the word document you're writing in is so huge that like it's not like writing an essay for school or you know I study journalism so it's not like writing an article for something where you can just you know do half of it and then the next day return to it and be like oh where was I and read everything you'd written so far and go from there like I couldn't do that because that would be my whole time I had to like read the you know 20,000 words I had so I had to mark like where I was and and keep going. No that's really smart. I think I think it does help the sort of re-entry point needs to be gentle when you're starting, particularly at 5 a.m. That is impressive. Yeah. I mean, maybe it was like six, but yeah, it was like Still. very, very early. Yeah. yeah sometimes think... five, sometimes six. Yeah. So it's there's two points here I think that are really important is like you knew when you were productive. So I think for people figuring out when the most yeah. productive time of day is essential and then also figuring out that like a 30-minute chunk was productive but not so intimidating that you'd push it off. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I find I'm clear in the morning before food comes in, before emails come in, before everything. Like I just have to kind of wake up and go and do it. And I actually, that's something that like in my life now, I'm kind of doing other things in the morning. Like I'm, I need to reevaluate that because I'm doing more self-carry things in the morning. Like I'm going to a class and then I'm like, meditating and I'm doing these things which are good but I think I really need to before those things get some writing time in or get some creativity time in because I know I'm freshest then so it's I think you're you're right like do what works figure out when is best for you and make sure you prioritize your writing then even though that might not be convenient I I think it's true because like you were saying it made your whole day better I agree it's like when I have a project and there's something I'm working on and I do it first thing then the rest of the day just feels like extra credit totally yes you articulated that beautifully it's like that saying eat the frog yeah have you heard that (laughs) yeah there's that whole book about like I think the whole point of course I haven't read the book but it's like do the hardest thing first and then everything else feels easier yes yeah yeah and I I try to do that but often fail. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like it's it's possible in stints for particular mm-hmm. purposes, but I think doing it every single day all the time it would it would be difficult to motivate that way. Yeah, and I think, you know, our life can kind of be in seasons and it can fluctuate and you know, there are seasons of like lots of writing and then there are seasons of, you know, more living. And I think that's kind of what I'm in right now. Like I 
people have been asking me about a second book or what I'm working on now. And like, I'm not working on a second book right now. I'm just living more and I'm getting more life experience and inspiration. And, you know, I hope I'll write something. I hope I'll write a book or many books or, you know, do more creative projects. But I, I think sometimes, you know, you reap, there's a time to reap and a time to sow, you know, and I think I'm kind of in a reaping period right now and, you know, getting life content and, and, you know, my my favorite comedian, my my friend Pete Holmes has this line where he says, you have to live a life worth commenting on as a comedian. You know, you can't be writing all the time. True. Well, I was curious because you dedicated the book to your podcast listeners. And I wonder how much the process of doing the show influenced the writing process. Hmm, that's a nice question. You know, I don't think it influenced it all that much honestly, because it's a, it's a different, I interview people. So it was more, I was telling other people's stories, but the reason I dedicated the book to them is because I wouldn't have had the book without them. And my podcast is my favorite thing I've ever done. It's the best, it's the best use of me, you know, like I can write, I have, but I love speaking. And I love having conversations and I don't have to try and I didn't learn that. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, you know, this like innate ability that I have and, and not that I'm great at it. You know, I'm like no Terry Gross, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm improving. Hopefully, you know, I've done a couple hundred of these and, and I hope to get better. And I love doing the research and I love who I get to talk to. And I love the people who listen and getting to connect with them and getting to listen to them and meet them has been so amazing. And there wouldn't have been a book deal. There wouldn't have been this platform without them. And I wrote the book for them because, and I actually say this in the dedication too, but really I wrote it for me, you know, like I wrote this book because it was something that I thought would help me. And then I'm, they are all similar to me. Every single person I've met who listens to the podcast is like, oh, I really connect with this thing that you said, or I feel like we would be friends. And I feel like I know you. And the truth is, you know, the people closest to me in my life, my friends, they who listen to the podcast, they're like, oh, yeah, they do know you because like, that's exactly how you are. You know, like, I really am how I like I, I have no filter. I'm, I'm really, I'm probably the most real on the podcast, more real than I am like with my family, even with some friends, because I, I feel really comfortable there. So I, I wrote it for myself and knowing that what helps me will probably help this group of people because we, you know, we are friends. When, when someone's like, oh, I feel like I know you. I feel like we'd be friends. I'm like, no, 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 we are. Like, I just need to know about you now because you already know me, you know? Yeah. So it's pretty cool. It is. I, yeah, there's a lot about that that I agree with in terms of just loving the conversation and the research and connecting with people. And yeah, I think that that's true. There is a balance between writing that's, that's the taking in and then the putting out. Mm. It's like, cause yeah, journaling is an interesting thing because you're kind of taking in things all the time that you don't realize how they impact you until you put it out. I mean, one thing you said, I think it was in the afterward, but something like, I don't know what I'm thinking until I'm writing. Yeah. And I totally relate to that. Yeah. We have, I say this in the book too, we have 60,000 thoughts a day and a lot of them are repeat thoughts, but a lot of them are unconscious thoughts. So things we've been thinking on repeat over and over and over again. And a lot of them are really negative. A lot of them are like, oh, I'm, you know, my body, uh, I'm not good enough or, oh, this, re like for me, it's always like, 
probably like a body image thing, like a relationship thing and a work thing, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like these three thoughts, like basically play and repeat with little, you know, things, day to day annoyances in between. And I think if you can become aware of those and harness those, you can change them. And then therefore you change your life because our thoughts inform our actions. Well, no, our thoughts inform our feelings, right? So our thoughts inform our emotions. So the thoughts we have, if you're thinking everything is so terrible, today is so terrible, whatever, whatever, you're going to feel angry. You're going to feel sad. You're going to feel an emotion that is negative, right? And then when you're feeling in your body a negative emotion, what type of action are you going to take? You're going to like be lethargic or you're going to not take action or you're going to take an action that's self-harming or you're going to take an action that's harming someone else. You're going to like that sadness is going to turn to anger and you're going to and those are the actions you're going to take and then your actions inform what your life is. So that's why when, you know, we say like thoughts become things or we say that like your thoughts inform your reality, like that's how it happens. Like that's that breaks it down of like it's not just like you think something and then it that's be your life. It's like, no, you think something and what you think makes you feel a certain way and how you feel informs the actions you take and the actions you take informs how you how your life becomes and so that's that's how your thoughts are so important so journaling is is helpful to first have that awareness of what the thoughts even are and then you can decide once you're aware if you want to change them if if they're serving you if they're not if they're even true you know we have to be Josh said this on my on my podcast, you know, we have to be careful about the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because if you're telling yourself a negative story about yourself, you start to believe it. And then that starts to become your life because you you start to take actions that make that true. Or you, you don't know? take so, actions that contradict exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I want to take a minute to talk about our sponsor, Scrivener. And I want to share a story from a listener who said that once she downloaded Scrivener and started exploring and and playing with it, she said, oh, I really feel like I can write my book now, which made me very happy. And of course, made Scrivener very happy when I shared the story with them. I want to bring that up because I think working on a book proposal like Katie has done and is talking about in this episode to get her book published is so much easier in a platform like Scrivener where you can, inside the software, separate out each section that you need to work on as part of the book proposal and then dive in where and when you want to to keep moving forward on each of those sections. It's so much easier to see the sections visually and to dive in to each of them separately rather than having to scroll and scroll and scroll through the program to find it. You can get 20% off the desktop software at literatureandlatte.com with the code SECRET. So enjoy, and let's get back to Katie. So how did this play out in the editing process? Because I think it's like we have these feelings, or at least people I know talk about writing too. It's like, writing is joyful, and then the editing is like, ooh. And then there's, you know, there's this self-editing that happens and like the critical voice and all of those kind of things that can come up. So how, how was the editing process for you? Uh, it was, it was like a little bit tumultuous at first. I, well, the first thing I did, so I hired a copy editor to just copy edit my manuscript before I even submitted it to my publisher. Cause I just wasn't, I'd never written a book before. I just, it took a lot of the pressure off me to like make it perfect and I could just write it. And then I knew someone was going to go through and at least get the typos out before I sent it. So that's the first thing I did. I finished the manuscript, then I sent it to her. She took all the typos out, basically. That's all she did. 
Um, and that was the best money I ever spent. You know, it was worth every penny to just like do that. That was outside of, I used my book advance to buy that because it was just important to me. I mean, I remember like she had like a few comments, like that wasn't what I paid her for. I mostly just paid her to like copy edit, but I was kind of expecting her to be like, this is amazing and wonderful. It's going to be a New York times bestseller. And she didn't say that. And that was like a hit. That was like, do you like it? Like, what do you think? You know? Um, and, and, but she, you know, she was like, Oh, this line is really beautiful or, you know, she, but that was kind of it. Like there wasn't too much. And that was like jarring to me. Cause I think I just expected like rainbows and butterflies and like what happens when you win solitaire to like happen when I got the email back, but I didn't. And so that kind of primed me for like what the next real phase of editing would be like. Cause I, I think I just kind of lowered my expectations. And so then when I sent it to my editor, I, my publisher is Hay House, and my editor at Hay House is so cool. Her name is Lindsay. She is amazing. She and I, like, became friends. Like, we just got along really well. We had, like, a phone conversation before she even got my manuscript. And um, we she was just great. I, I just absolutely loved her. So then when I sent the manuscript in, she gave me some, you know, kind of interim feedback a little bit. And then sent it back with like a, a letter. I think that's probably pretty standard of like what she was expecting as well as, you know, like a f- full thing of track changes that I needed to fix. And this letter was like, I don't know, maybe 10 pages long of like things that she wanted to change and things that like, and uh, some of them are really little, like, Hey, I think that, you know, there should be more tools in this section and let's move this tool to there. A lot of it was just moving things around. It was honestly just moving things around structurally, like changing things, but it wasn't really asking me to to redo it. And then a, a couple other things were like, this tool just isn't strong. Redo it, you know, or like this doesn't make sense. What do you mean here? There's just so much. There were so many edits and I am so grateful for all of them now. But at the time, it just felt like I agree with everything you're saying, Lindsay. You are a really amazing editor and I want to just be able to like be like Sabrina the Teenage Witch and like put my finger out and make all of them. And I was almost kind of like, can you do it? Like, these are all great. Can you do it for me? You know, but it like wasn't that A was not the deal. And B, and I sound so lazy that I even wanted that, but that was like my initial thought if I'm honest. And, um, you know, that I couldn't, couldn't even have someone do it because she was like, this needs to sound a bit more like your voice. Or can you add a little bit more of your story in here? Can you be a little bit more specific there? And can you give an example here? Like, that's what it was. It was all like, only I could do this. And I had to do this. But it was a lot of work and it was a lot of time. And I had just spent a lot of work and a lot of time writing it, you know. So it was like, you know, there's nothing like having to redo work you've already done. You know, like that is is always more frustrating than doing something the first time, no matter what your field is. And so it seemed like a lot. And I ha- and again, I had a lot on my plate at the time, which was, you know, my podcast, my full-time job, like teaching yoga, all of these things I was doing. So it was a lot. I remember like getting the edits back and, and like talking to my mom and it's like, I just want to crawl under the table and cry. And that's when I, that's when I really implemented that system of like in the morning and I wake up and I, I did, I went back to the exact same thing I did when I was writing the book and I just wrote, I did edits for a half an hour. And then when I was done, I like checked off each one I, that I did. And then I like, I had that 10 page document printed out and then I would like mark, okay, tomorrow I'm starting on page seven and I'm going to do the next one that she says. And I would always like have like, okay, 
this idea, you know, I always had, I always marked what I was doing next. And I, I went back to that system and, you know, it took me a while. I think I had to ask for an extension once with like getting, you know, a draft back to her, but it ended up working out and, you know, it all ended up being okay. But again, I had time. I think that's another thing. Like if you can ask for time, like I remember being like, oh yeah, I can do these in a month. And then being like, oh no. But I, I, you know, was like, I need a little more, more time. Um, to always ask for more time than you think you need. If you get it done really great, but like that, that's something I would give people as advice. That makes sense. And how long was the timeline between when you initially submitted the book and when you got these edits back? I submitted it early. So I submitted it early So and I got an email back from my publisher being like, Lindsay, your editor cannot even look at these for like three months or six months or something like that because I forget what it was, but it was a long time because she's working on, she was actually working on Wayne Dyer's last book. She was like editing that. And so, um, she was like, you, that you weren't on the schedule for her until it was due and you submitted it early, which is fine, but she's not even going to be able to look at it until then. And then not only that, she was still, she was behind on projects. So like, even when it was due, she had, I was a first time author, you know, she had to, these things were more, you know, relevant or more pertinent. And so she had to, so I think I had like maybe six months. And during that time, I was like, balls in their court, I can do whatever. And so I wasn't writing at all. It wasn't, I, was, I actually, what I did during that time was I, I wrote a second book, book proposal, which I actually like don't want to do anything with now. But I was like, oh, this is balls in their court. I'm going to do something else. And so I, I wrote a new book proposal. But anyway, that's kind of what um, the the timeline that I had. So did you give up on the other book proposal because you're just not interested in it anymore? Or it just doesn't feel like a fit? It's something I might come back to later. I think I need more life experience to write that particular book. I think I was, you know, I was, I was trying to write something that requires a lot of life experience. And I, I want to have more. I, I was It was a book of essays, like personal essays, kind of memoir And I still hope to do that someday. But I think I, I'm I'm pretty young and I think I need a bit more life experience to make that um, something that I would want to read. So yeah, I, I think I'll come back to it. I think it was just kind of overzealous of like, I want to get this, I want to have this done and submitted before my book comes out and boom, boom, boom. And I'm not really like that anymore in my life, but I was um, two years ago. And that's like, that's the thing with writing a book, like that book, you know, that we've been talking about, I love, but it's so me two years ago, you know? I wrote the book almost three years ago now. So it's just, we changed so quickly and you put something out there. And that's kind of how, how I feel about that proposal. Like I wrote that proposal almost three years ago now. And so, you know, I'll reapproach it. And I have ideas that I like more now. So I'm kind of focusing on them. Yeah. You got the edits back, you made the edits, and then it ends up taking a couple months. So how much longer did you have to go between when you started working with Lindsay until you were kind of done? Oh, man, it's so hard to remember this stuff now. Gosh, because this was two years ago. Right. I want to say maybe like a four month period of all of that, because it was like, I know we did an initial draft and I submitted back to her and then I got more edits and then I went back and then there was like a final, final edit that I had to go through and approve. And then it was like, a, I forget what it's called. It's basically called like the final edit, but it's like... Probably like the final copy edit or whatever, blue lining or whatever. Something, yeah. And then mm. we did that. And then um, like someone else looked at it other than Lindsay. After it was like, it was like her and then copy edited and like somebody else looked for like something else. 
And then, so it was like, and then, you know, it was like the cover design and like all these things were happening. Um, So it was probably like a four month period. And then I had, then after that, I probably had like six more months or at least like four more months until the book was actually coming out where I had to do the promotion and I had to do like that strategy and I had to talk to like the promotions team and I had to talk to like figure out like a book tour and bonuses and all of that which is like a whole nother can of worms yeah Mm -hmm. so since you're you know you love podcasting and you have a blog and all of this that's so much more immediate how would you compare your experience as an author to an experience you know doing more immediate digital media that people can connect with I loved writing a book and I love being an author like I think it's something like as as my best work as a blogger or as you know the best essay I've ever written on the internet or the best podcast I've ever recorded is only as good as the people who see it and people who aren't on the internet, you know, older generations or people who are just not as familiar don't see, unfortunately, that work as legitimate as walking into Barnes and Noble and seeing a book on the shelf. And so that part of having a book out, I love, you know, like it was the first time that like my parents were really able to be like, oh, all the stuff you do, like extracurricularly, oh, I get it. Like keep doing, that's cool. You know, like it was the first time they like got me, I feel like. And my grandfathers and like, you know, people that I've, it it legitimized the work, the other work I do online. It kind of gave me like, oh, all right, this, this is legit what she does here. This is like, okay, I get it. You know, so I, I'm really grateful for it, for that, in that respect. And, you know, I love also putting out work immediately that is unfiltered and unperfect and and that's the thing like anything I put on the internet or I I write this newsletter every week and like or no that's a lie it's like not every week at all it's sometimes (laughs) but um you know that is very fluid and it's very like imperfect and you know I actually had someone she's like so sweet she lives in London she's a copy editor and she was like oh I love your emails but you have so many typos do you want me to edit them and so now she does which is lovely but yeah, it's something that I love doing the immediate. I love having that outlet of like, oh, cool. I have this little group, this community that I can share things real time with and get feedback real time. And like, that's pretty fun. And I enjoy that. But it is really nice to have it, the legitimacy of, of having the book out in the world. And it's it's done and I can't touch it is like a special thing that I'm really grateful I've had that experience and I and having had that experience I really want to have it again and and I hope that I do yeah it sounds like they all work really well together yeah I like having both options definitely yeah so I'm curious about how you think the journaling process served you as you were writing the book did you find you were journaling less or were there did it help you in any particular way to be journaling while you were working on the book? It's so hard to remember, to be honest. Like, I'm so sorry. It's so hard to remember because it was so long ago. I don't know. I think I got a lot of ideas for me because I was writing a book about journaling. So I would essentially like try all of these exercises that I was like making up or I was like getting from other places or getting and you know, the exercises in my book are inspired by all sorts of things. Like there's an episode or there's an there is a tool that is inspired by an episode of Seinfeld. There's a tool that's inspired by my favorite movie. There's a tool that's inspired 
by, you know, Julia Cameron's book. Like there's tools inspired by all these different things and I would try them and I would like try them again and I would do them consistently to be like, does this work for me or like, will this work for other people? How does this go down? And I would make up all of the tools in there, the ones that aren't inspired by anything that I just straight up made up were all things I was wrestling with with my life. Like there's, you know, relationship tools that are like very clearly the relationship issue that I was having that I was like, how can I use journaling to help me with this? What questions would I want to ask myself? And I, and I did it and I tried it and then I would, you know, send it to friends going through the same thing. And then it ended up in the book, you know? So that's kind of how everything happened was like, this is something I'm wrestling with. Can, is there a journaling tool for this? Let me try it. All right. All right, cool. Let me keep doing this. And then let's put it in the book. So like, there's a tool about like, dreams and dream journaling and I was like I was having a lot of like issues with my dreams and my sleep at the time and I like learned a lot about it and I did a lot of research and then I like wrote a tool about that you know and there's again hard to remember because this was like so long ago but it was all everything in there is straight if you read that book and you know me or you like don't know me and you want to know me like I am bleeding all over in that book like it is just like it sounds like it maybe is like someone else or a friend but like it is all it all was me you know it was all what was going on in my life at that moment in time which is another cool thing to have out there yeah and it sounds like you've had practice in putting yourself and being so authentic on the podcast and in you're writing online but is there anything did you have any like vulnerability hangover from the book being out yeah, that's a um, that's a good question. I thought that I would, you know, in the intro, I kind of like tell my story and kind of like more about myself. And I had already written a couple uh, essays on the internet that I felt more vulnerable to share because it was kind of the first time I was talking about like my eating disorder and you know things about myself that m- got enough eyes on them that like my family would also see. And so that had already happened about like six months before the book came out. And so I was kind of like, oh, all right, that that was fine. They like kind of knew that was out there and, and that was kind of over. And then when the book came out, it wasn't there wasn't really anything too surprising in there. And I remember thinking like the night before it came out, like, oh, my God, everyone's going to know everything tomorrow, you know. Um, but then they nothing really happened (laughs) like I don't know if people like didn't read it fully or like the people who followed me on the internet didn't have any too big surprises because I kind of talk about this stuff and you know my family like I think they kind of read it but I don't think they like did the exercises or cared to like do any of that so like they didn't probably get to the point where I talk about some more dark things in the back or like they didn't really or put two and two together that it was like stuff that had happened to me, you know. So I think they kind of probably like read the intro and some of the tools and were like, oh, this is cool. Good, good thing that Katie does. Like, that's cool. It's in Barnes and Noble. Goodbye, you know. And so I, I remember thinking like, oh, my gosh, like my uncle and my mom and my, you're going to know all this stuff about me. But like nobody said anything or maybe they saw it and they just were kind of like, oh, cool. I'm not going to, I don't want to talk about this, you know? So I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't end up having the the vulnerability. Also the book is not a memoir. Like I didn't, there's a lot of me in it, but I also don't, I'm very careful to not come off as a guru. I'm very careful to not, like, I'm not a journaling expert. I'm a journaling cheerleader. I'm a journaling enthusiast. It's something that helps me and I want to share, but these are just like 
things I made up that work for me. And now that the book's been out, I can say with validity work for other people. But it was really just like, this is a creative idea I had. I'm going to try to pursue it. I don't know anything. I'm in my 20s. So therefore, that means I'd know nothing because you know nothing in your 20s. You're constantly learning and growing. And I get that now. When I was started the book, I didn't. I thought that I knew everything, you know, um, which is a sign of being in your early 20s because you think you know everything. Whereas now I'm in my like later 20s and I realize that I don't. And so that's that's the thing. That's 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 it right there it was it was just like, I don't know anything. I thought I did. Here's, you know, some things I've learned so far, you know, so far as I can being 24 years old, you know, that's great. Yeah. Well, I hope that we get to hear about your next book before too long, but that you do get a nice solid break and that you're not going to wipe yourself out in the meantime. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I, I've been pretty, you know, kind of frustrated and hard on myself. I'd like to focus on one writing project. And, you know, for people, if they listen to my podcast, they would know this because I've been constantly like wrestling with the fact of kind of feeling like a master of none of like, unfocused and doing so many things and not really mastering anything and write. And I want to get back to writing. I've never studied, you know, writing in a, in a way that I, at the level that I would want to. So I'd love to go to grad school and I would love to study more and I'd love to learn more. And, and I also love to, you know, get more life experience to have more content to write about, you know, which is, you know, doing, I have some really big life changes happening in my life right now. And so, um, I think, getting that content is, is really what I'm focusing on right now. And then I hope that makes my work more interesting. And in, you know, whenever that is. Well, I think as long as your life is satisfying to you, then, and that your audience is so many people who relate, I think it will be. I hope so. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on. It's been wonderful talking to you. Oh, it's been so wonderful being here with you. And thank you so much for having me. This is, this is really fun. Thank you for listening to the secret library podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading.